This week's reading for the 19th Sunday after Pentecost comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, he refused. But later, he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she will not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Gospel of the Lord. Well, folks, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. I've noticed something about myself in the last couple of years. A lot of my pop culture references, which if you tune in regularly, you will know I do a lot, they're getting kind of dated. I think this is a sign that maybe I'm starting to age. I'm not as young as I once was, and that's okay. But this week I'm thinking about yet another movie, a pop culture reference, and this one's going back in the 90s, so it's going back a ways. It's to a great movie, one that I love, a movie based on a book, The Shawshank Redemption. Now, if you are not familiar with this story, it focuses in on a banker who is falsely accused and convicted of murder, and he's sentenced to life in in the Shawshank prison. Now, he's there for a couple of years, and he's kind of doing whatever he can during that time. And then at some point, it comes to the attention of the higher-ups, like the warden and some some of the captain of the guard, that he's got some real sound financial knowledge, and they can take advantage of that. And so they end up moving him and placing him in charge of the prison library. Now, when he takes it over, there's not much there. There's just a few books, and he kind of distributes them out to the, to the other inmates, and, and that's about it. But he has dreams that it could be more. And so first he starts talking to some of his fellow inmates, and he says, we could do more with this. We just need to get some funding. Well, I'll ask the warden for funds. And so they, they encourage it. Well, yeah, go for it. They, they all laugh at him. They don't think it's going to happen, but they're like, go for it. So he goes to the warden, and he asks for funds. Well, the warden says, no, there's no extra funds. And he says, well, could I, could I ask the state legislature to provide funds for us? He says, I can write them a letter every single week. They can't ignore me forever. And the warden says, sure they can, but you go ahead and write your letters. I'll even send them for you. So Andy, he's the main character. He starts writing a letter requesting funds for the the prison library every single week. And six years go by. And out of the blue, he's called into the warden's office where he is presented with a check for $200 and crates of books. And he's got a letter that, that, that responds that due to your... your ongoing inquiries, we have provided this for you. We trust that the matter is closed. And he says, huh, it only took six years. From now on, I'll write two letters a week. And he continues. And over the course of the next four years, he's writing two letters every single week with the the same request until finally they grant him an ongoing yearly budget. And then the narrator says, and they did it just to shut him up. This is an example, his behavior, of something that we call persistence. 
He is persistent. He is ongoing, continually doing the same thing because he has a goal in mind and he is going to continue to work towards that goal. He is persistent in writing his letters, first one a week and then two a week until he finally achieves his goal. Now, the flip side of that would have been how the, the state legislator, whoever was receiving those letters, must have felt. I can only imagine that by the end they were utterly annoyed with the persistence that Andy was showing. He was persistent. They had annoyance. Either way, they came together. Now, this is a perfect example of what we have in this short little parable that Jesus has for us today, the parable of the persistent widow. Now, folks, this one's an odd one. It's fairly brief. There's not a whole lot here as Jesus goes into this moment of teaching about being persistent. And he says, there was a judge in a certain city, and this judge had no fear of God nor respect for other people. And the judge knows this about himself. In fact, the judge even says it at one point. And also in the city, there is a widow. And she has a grievance. Now, we don't know what it is, but she's seeking justice from her justice with her opponent, and she's seeking it from the judge. The judge is the one who is able to grant it. Now, here's the thing to keep in mind. Widows in that time were utterly marginalized. They had no legal standing, so she would not necessarily even be heard when she came to court. Ordinarily, when she would appear before the judge, she would have to have a man, typically a family member, stand in and speak for her, like a father or a brother or a son or a husband. But we hear she's a widow, so we extrapolate that she's got no one to speak for. She's all by herself. She's utterly pushed to the margins with no legal standing, no legal bearing. The guy doesn't even have to listen to her. And yet, day after day after day, she continually is persistent to come as she seeks justice against her opponent. And then we hear about the judge. And the judge seemingly gets annoyed. Now, I do kind of laugh. This judge is self-aware. And the judge says to himself, even though I have no fear of, of God and no respect for other people, I will grant justice to this woman so that she does not wear me out by coming every single day. If we look at the original language, it actually almost implies that she will not beat me black and blue by coming every single day. I can just imagine the lady chasing him with her purse and smacking him until he gives her what she wants. She is persistent, and he is seemingly annoyed to the point where he gives in. She wears him down. That's the parable, and it's strange. And admittedly, when I think about this, I wonder the same thing I tend to wonder every time I hear a parable, perhaps you do too, but a way to think about parables is who am I in this story and who is God in this story? And if we look at it that way, and then we consider the way that Jesus introduces this parable in the first place, the very first verse that we heard, Jesus is talking, he is teaching about being persistent in prayer. When we pray to God, and then he tells this parable. And if we stop right there, it might seem like we are, Jesus is telling us that we need to be like the widow. We need to be persistent in praying every day of bringing our prayers to God every day. And the one that we are bringing it to would seem to be the judge. And if that's where we stop, I find that extraordinarily troublesome because that seems to imply that we have to wear God down that we have to be persistent and annoy God to finally get what we are praying for. But if we continue reading and we remember to not stop at face value, we see that Jesus is actually giving a comparison of something that God is not. 
And he says, listen to what the judge says. She will wear me down. He sa- but then he goes on to say, will not God quickly grant justice to those who cry out to him day and night? Will God not answer the prayers of God's people? This is admittedly strange. And in this brief little passage, it almost kind of leaves us hanging And if you're anything like me and you think about this parable and you think about the implications of what's going on, maybe it even leaves a a bad taste in your mouth. But it's always important to remember the larger context of what's going on here. And if we back up a little bit, if we back up a few verses, we see that Jesus has been continuously teaching and talking and interacting with different people who keep asking him for signs. Jesus, you say that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is among us that you have brought it to us. Well, where are the signs that we can see it? Where are the big flashy things that we can look to to confirm this? And Jesus starts talking about, it's not about looking for the big fancy signs. You're not gonna say, look over here and see this, or look to this and see this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is among you. It is even within you. And he seems to imply it's even there when it doesn't feel like it. And we all know those times happen. And so that's what I believe Jesus is talking about when he says, when he talks about, do not lose heart and persevere in prayer. That raises the question, what is prayer? What is it? Is it just a time when we fold our hands and squeeze our eyes shut tight and we, we share with some heavenly otherly being what our daily Christmas list is? These are the things that I want. Or is it a time when we are intentionally trying to connect with one that is bigger than we are, the one who made all of this in the first place, and recognize that, yes, we do have wants, we do have needs, but there are also wants and needs in the world around us and in the people that surround us, and we want to be mindful of that too. I believe that prayer is an intentional time of connection with God in recognizing that we are not the center of the universe and that we want to join and be mindful, to be cognizant, to be connected with all of it. And if that's what prayer is, it's this reminder that we are not alone and that we are not the center of the universe, maybe we begin to see and we begin to embrace the kingdom of heaven being around us, and we are trying to bring it more into fruition, not only for ourselves, but for those who are around us and in partnership with God. I believe that's what prayer is. But what does that have to do with this situation, with this parable? And what are we talking about when we start thinking about granting justice? That's, that's what seems to be at the basis of this. In order to get into that a little bit, I need to come back to the first thing that I talked about with parables initially. When I hear parables, my first inclination, my first thought, whether it's accurate or not, is to ask the question, who am I in this parable and who is God? It seems to imply that we are are to think about being the widow, being like the widow, that we are called to be persistent and not lose heart as we continually come into contact with God, come into prayer with God. But if we're the widow, well, then that leaves another character, and that's the judge. And that judge is interesting because that judge is honest. And that judge says, I have no fear of God. I have no respect for other people. We have this judge who's in a place of power and authority that has the ability to grant justice to the widow who is utterly marginalized. 
And the more I thought about that, the more I had to realize some truth about myself, a truth that I'm going to own for you right now. I am a straight, white, middle-aged, married, educated, gainfully employed male in the United States of America. And acknowledging that, I also have to acknowledge that I am among the least marginalized people on the planet. And so it's probably not OK for me to just compare myself to the widow. I am in a place of authority. I am in a place of prestige. I am in a place where I probably sighed a little bit more, or can relate a little bit more, or have a little bit more in common than I like to think about with the judge. And maybe you are too. And if that is the case, then what can we learn from the judge? Well, again, that judge is honest. I have no fear of God or respect for other people. And that, my friends, is the basis for something we call sin. I'm thinking about a concept known as the Ten Commandments, something that we teach here in the Lutheran Church. Anyone of you who have ever been through uh, an education called confirmation have probably dealt with this. Maybe you're familiar with the Ten Commandments. Whenever I'm teaching on it, I always point out that the Ten Commandments have to do with our relationships. Some of them are about our relationship with God, and some of them about our relationship with other people. And oftentimes, when we put our own selfish natures first, which we all have that tendency to do, we are breaking one of those commandments. We are breaking or harming the relationship between us and God or between us and our neighbors. And that sounds an awful lot like I have no respect for God or respect for other people. Sin, idolatry, placing ourselves in the, presence, in, in the place of God, whatever we want to call it, that is acknowledging the brokenness that is a part of us and a part of this broken world. Now, when those times happen, when we are honest with ourselves about that, we have been promised that when we repent and turn away from it and turn back to God, God, has been, God will be faithful to forgive us. That forgiveness has already been offered to us through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that is good news, even in those times when we fail when we fail to realize that we are connected to one another, and perhaps most importantly, that we are connected with that marginalized one like the widow. Now, if I have to acknowledge that, that my demographics place me in one of the least marginalized groups, then I also recognize that there are marginalized groups, and perhaps you relate with that. Perhaps your circumstances place you in that boat. And I cannot tell you which side you fall on, whether you are one who is seeking justice and equity in a world that oftentimes denies it, or you find yourself in a place where maybe you don't even have to think about it because you've already been given that privilege. Regardless of where we at, may this serve as a reminder that we are far more connected than we want to, than we oftentimes realize. And if the kingdom of heaven is among us, we are being invited into God to help seek out that true equity for all people, that true justice for all people, whatever that looks like. Now, I'm not going to tell you what that looks like. I'm not going to tell you what marginalized group perhaps you should be thinking about or what, uh, which one that perhaps you have unwittingly marginalized perhaps without even thinking about it. But if the Holy Spirit is tugging at you in one direction or another, maybe that's the invitation God is placing upon you to start joining in this work 
of seeking out that reconciliation, seeking out that true justice, that true equity, and in doing so, partnering with God to bring that kingdom of heaven closer and closer and closer to fruition. We are all in this together, folks, whether we realize it or not. So may we either be uneasy because of where we find ourselves, or may we be encouraged that it will happen one day and that God has promised it. May we cling to that, whichever side of the coin we fall on.